I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest is Jenny Christofferson. Jenny is the Chief Academic Officer at Nearpod with 20 plus years in K-12 education. Prior to joining the Nearpod team, Jenny held leadership roles at Pearson, Amplify Education, and Hand to Mind. Earlier in her career, Jenny was a district math coordinator and a nationwide professional developer building off her time as a math teacher in various schools throughout the Chicago area. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me, Matt. Jenny, so you started off your career as a math teacher. Uh, Where was that and what grades did you teach? You know, I started math, as you mentioned before, all in the Chicagoland area, Uh, mainly focusing around eighth grade mathematics. So math is definitely my jam. Now, are you still located in the Chicago land area? No, actually, now I live in sunny South Florida. Um, oh. Nearpod actually brought me here. So it's been, okay. you know, I've been a little bit of a gypsy in my career. I've been really fortunate um, that, you know, after, you know, being in the classroom all, you know, in Chicago, in Illinois, I had opportunities to move to Boston. Um, I've lived in Brooklyn, New York, um, and now have the, the fortunate nature of living here in South Florida. Yeah, Brooklyn is one of those places that is uh I've sort of always dreamed uh to live there. You know, we we went on a little Airbnb Airbnb there recently. And I was just like, man, I would really this this would be it uh for me. So, what was it like to live there? You know, just so rich in culture. Mm. I loved every moment and it really Brooklyn itself reminded me a lot of Chicago in the sense of yeah. a lot of it was like a walking kind of city for myself. So I walked to the office every day and I bet you would have seen where I worked before. It was in Dumbo. So down under the Manhattan bridge. Right. And the street where the office is located is like what you see in commercials and ads and pictures and postcards. So it was just beautiful to walk and just see the Manhattan bridge um, every day on the way to the office, but really just the richness in in culture and diversity Mm -hmm. Um, It was just really such a great vibe. So you started off in Chicago and uh, and you were a math teacher and then uh, then you became a math 
coordinator, but I do want to talk a little bit about uh, your time as a teacher. You know, thinking back, and I know that was a while ago, but it's good to reminisce. It's good to reflect. Uh, what are some things that stood out to you during your time as a math teacher? You know, what's so funny is you say it's a long time ago, time to reflect. I reflect on that experience mm. every single day. And I actually say that everything I learned to be an executive or a C-suite in a company came from being an eighth grade teacher, literally. I actually bring examples back to it all the time. So so one thing is about um, how I actually set up and, and, and establish culture in the classroom was really important to me, you know, beyond the content itself. So, you know, at the beginning of the year, you always establish kind of classroom norms and kind of rules, right? And you do that collectively with your class. So I did that every single year. And Matt, the last one or kind of rule that we would follow is everything that is expected of you as a student should also be expected of your teacher. So for example, if you were supposed to, or we had a commitment to completing our homework on time, my homework was actually grading assessments because it was going to inform my next day's instruction. So if I didn't check or grade the test, then you didn't have homework the next day because I didn't do my homework. That's a that's a good way to approach it. I'm sure your students uh, appreciated you sort of having these norms as well and interacting with them in, in a deep way. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to ask someone in mathematics, to me, is a discipline where you have some who feel really strong um, and, and identify themselves as like, I'm good at math, but then you have a lot who have quite a bit of anxiety in a math classroom. So the first step is that relationship building you need to do to build a sense of trust. And you can start that even from something like norm building in the classroom, because I'm going to ask kids to you know have grit, to persevere, to dig a little deeper and maybe um, you know tackle some of those anxieties as they, they learn math. Then you uh, then you switched from your classroom to being a district math coordinator. Uh, what was that position? Yeah, so um, I led um, both you know the math curriculum and our in, um, assessment approach. Again, in a district outside of Chicago, there were twelve schools, nine elementary, and three middle schools. And you know we were a district um, that was just we put professional development. Um, at the front of everything. So it wasn't just that one and done PD day, right? I had a great experience. I went back in my classroom and I couldn't connect it. We were all about bringing constructivist kind of approaches to teaching mathematics. And we knew that we had to have sustained professional development. So a lot of my role was about connecting with educators, um, helping them confront maybe questions around self-efficacy and teaching mathematics and just had ongoing professional development, training, collaboration, um, and changing teacher practices so that we could improve the level of student understanding across the district. What were some ways, being a a math coordinator, district math coordinator, what were some ways that you were able to find success in helping teachers develop? You know, what's pretty amazing is the program that we were working with at the time was really taking a way to look at mathematics um, in a different way for students, but frankly, it was a different way for teachers. So I found that teachers taking on the role of the student and learning the student materials firsthand, doing the activities, talking to it, modeling, what would this look like in small group instruction with the educators themselves actually started to create new connection points, new understandings of mathematics. And I just love to watch that aha moment 
when you realize that the Pythagorean theorem is more than a squared plus b squared equals c squared, that there's a geometric representation that comes from somewhere, those, you know, I'm sure you, maybe you've had this experience, man, I know many have, is like, why am I learning this? Where does this come from? When you start getting those connection points, it starts to make more sense and, and actually gets you more passionate about learning it yourself and then teaching it to students. That's a great approach. And that's, I'm sure that was super helpful for the teachers that you that you made the time and made the effort to sort of uh, dig into them so that they can then take that uh, back into the classroom. So you made a shift from education, being a math teacher, then a coordinator to the private sector, still within education. Can you tell us about that transition? Yeah. So as I was um, both a classroom teacher and a math coordinator, like many teachers out there, we start doing some small gigs with publishers. And I had been doing that. I was going out and, and doing trainings on pay, behalf of the publisher part-time. So any day we had a, a, a holiday or a day off as a teacher, I was out there training or all summer I was doing trainings kind of nationwide. It just happened that, you know, right place at the right time that there was a position that opened. Um, it was called Prentice Hall at the time, now Pearson and now Savas Learning. So it all changes, right? Um, there was an opportunity for me to join full time. So, you know, I, I made that leap. And why I give that example, Matt, is people often ask, how did you make the leap from the classroom or in public school system into that private sector? So it was really about relationships. I started to build with that publisher and came on full time. So I spent eight years there, part of it in Boston. Actually, Amplify brought me to Brooklyn. Um, you know, and then hand to mind after that, which was again, back in the Chicagoland area. That's great. And I, I just want to point out a, a little connection here. Um, one of the things that you were successful in with professional development as a math coordinator was building relationships with the teachers and, and helping them learn. And that's something that also brought you to the private sector is really based on relationships. And it, it seems like that's an important piece of your work. Am I correct in, in sort of bringing that out? Absolutely. So, you know, I've held leadership roles in product management, product development, marketing, as you talk about like all of those companies. But I think what's mm-hmm. a cornerstone in all of those is I'm really um, a strategist. I'm a relationship builder. I'm a silo breaker and I'm a fierce advocate. And so I'm a fierce advocate for teachers. I'm a fierce advocate for those I work with. And I'm also a self-advocate. And so learning about how do you build really important connections with folks so you can do that advocacy, whether it's the good for what's happening in the classroom, whether it's the good for your colleague who's working with you, who's looking for a growth path, or even for yourself of knowing what do you aspire to do and be, you know, five, 10 years from now, um, you are your best advocate. And if you wait for somebody to do it for you, you might be waiting for a while. So, you know, I just, I just, it's all about, and how do you do that? You do that by building relationships, right? You can't do that alone in a silo by yourself. You said silo breaker. Uh, that might not be a uh, common term for our listeners. And yeah, sure. to be honest, it's not a common term for me. So could could you explain that? Yeah, no problem. You know what? I have a lot of Jennyisms, so feel free <laughs> to ask. I like to make up things and I, I, I live by mottos. I'm constantly giving mottos because I believe in, I'm a, like an SEL like junkie yeah. in the sense of I, I like mantras, right? And mottos. I, I live my life that way. But what I mean by that is think about as a classroom educator, it's, it's really isolating at times. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, the big advice that was given to me as a classroom educator is don't eat in the um, like teacher break lunchroom. <laughs> right? Like if you yeah, don't want to be around a level of negativity. So what happens is you end up in a classroom by yourself. And I found it to be quite lonely, right? Mm. And when I transitioned into business, um, there are times where I've seen either groups, whether it's like one team, let's say it's a marketing team, where you see silos of individuals like working at their desk and not talking to each other. And I'm like, how can we accomplish? You know, life is hard and the exciting part is solving problems. You got to do that together. So like, how do you break down individual silos? But I've also seen in organizations where different groups maybe don't effectively work together and they work in silos. How do you break down those silos and build relationships? An example in a district would be, and I'm actually seeing these silos break down, is instructional technology and curriculum, mm -hmm. um, where maybe instructional technology is making one decision, curriculum is making another, um, and you know they're silos and haven't really bridged those gaps yet. I will say, especially with the shift to distance learning, I'm seeing that gap kind of break down. But I'm super passionate. And I guess you're really helping me see something new about myself is that relationship building hmm. is breaking silos, building relationships, man, you're just such a more powerful entity when you do things together. Yeah, that was going to be my follow up is like, how do you break that silo? So we have these these strong relationships, right? And I'm a technology coach. So I can, uh, you know, I can agree with with this disconnect between technology integration and curriculum. And, and there needs to be these relationships to break that silo. Is there anything else that you think would be helpful? You know, I think in terms of silo breaking specifically. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think the other thing that would be helpful is I always think about what is our combined North Star? What is our why? What are we trying to solve for? And you have to find that common point. Often, if you think, let's say in for you, right, as a tech coach working in instructional technology, you might be thinking about a level of innovation. You know, I'm I'm getting devices in the hands of every kid. So I want to I want to maximize that, right? Um, I want to really bring 21st century learning into the classroom. You then have a curriculum, let's say lead, who's really thinking about I have a real strong belief system in, in pedagogy and standard space instruction and maybe can't see themselves in that goal. So I think you have to ladder it up into a North Star where you have that collective goal and build towards that. But more importantly in silo breaking is how do you start to build individual connections before you try to do groupthink and start to build allies within that process and really get to know one another authentically. But you know and and really rally around a shared kind of mission of what you're trying to do. Is a uh, combined North star, another Jennyism or yeah, is it a slogan? <laughs> you know, I, I you know, I, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll, I'll try to identify those. <laughs> and my folks who work with me know I get kind of cheesy at times. Um, but, you know, I just think it's really important if you kind of think of it in that way, mm -hmm. you know, that's how you can go across it. So one that I, I really do live by, I didn't make this one up is, you know, if it if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. So I always look for what's that one additional thing you can do. I think I got I, I'm all about grit and perseverance. I mm -hmm. mentioned it before, but I don't say it. I live by it. Yeah. No, I think that combined North Star. I've never heard that. Um, yeah. But to me, it's uh, it's very visual. You know, I can you know, there's obviously a North Star in the sky and you can see 
I can sort of picture a lot of different people looking up at the same place and how helpful that would be. So thanks for sharing that uh, for us. And um, and I think that's really helpful, you know, as people are, are seeking to bridge those gaps and break the silos down. So Jenny, you're now at Nearpod. Um, for our listeners who don't know about Nearpod, can you provide a little bit of insight into the company? Sure. Um, Nearpod is a, a platform um, that provides the ability for teachers to create learning experiences that take rich, dynamic multimedia. So I want you to think VR, simulations, it could even be video, and formative assessment. So whether that's you know quizzes and, and polls or gamification, that you get real-time student feedback, and it's all merged into one seamless experience. So instead of having to go to five different websites to do that, you do it all within Nearpod. Hmm. The teacher paces it and the student experiences it with quite a high level of engagement and delight. Yeah, that's that sounds great. So there's a lot of ed tech tools out there, right? Uh, you know, I'm a technology coach. I come across them every day. What are some features that differentiate Nearpod um, from some of these other tools out there? Well, there's a lot of tools out there. Um, and this is going to be more of that kind of business term, but that are what I would call point solutions, which mean they're going to solve for one thing and they're going to solve it really, really well. And they're going to build their product. So it solves that one need. Um, Nearpod really is been in the past couple of years looking at what's a variety of needs out there and what can we build to help, you know, solve that need? Because we believe that technology should make the complex a bit more simple, mm -hmm. right? So if you look at things like I've mentioned formative assessment, we have 13 ways for students to show what they know. Whether that is kind of the formal formative assessment you'd expect, I mentioned before, quizzes, multiple choice, open-ended responses. But we put a level of gamification in. So um, where students are having you know, a bit more fun, but we also really work hard to work with other companies like Flipgrid is actually available right within Nearpod as well. We also want to make sure that there's accessibility built all right within that, that kind of unique experience. So we're not going to do just like one thing well. We're going to take the best of what you may find in multiple solutions and deliver it within Nearpod. And there's other things we do beyond formative assessments, but that's one example. Yeah, well, I'm glad you pointed out formative assessments. You know, I'm a big fan of those, and those are super helpful for students' understanding. Can you bring us into a classroom? So let's walk into a classroom. The classroom is using Nearpod. The teachers, uh, the students are, are integrating with it. The teacher is... Um, and they're doing some formative assessments. What would be some examples? And I know you gave, uh, you know, some examples there in the um, description of it. But can you tell us a little bit how it would be used in the classroom specifically with formative assessments? Sure. So, um, OK, let's let's close our eyes and, and picture a classroom. OK, man, because I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do my best to, let's to do that. be descriptive, right? Let's see, <laughs> let's see. You can grade me at the end of it. And how well did I do? OK. So we're, we're going to do that exercise of closing our eyes. Um, so I want you to picture a teacher um, and let's say they're in front of an interactive whiteboard. But what I want you to think is that teacher doesn't have to be anchored there. They've got, let's say, an iPad in front of them and you've got groups of students in front of you and they all have Chromebooks in front of them. Let's picture that. OK. Yeah. And a teacher is going to start off a lesson. OK. Should we go on the theme of Pythagorean theorem? Should we just roll with yeah, that? Yeah, let's let's roll with that. Okay, 
So I might want to assess prior knowledge, right? Because formative assessment is going to inform my instruction throughout the lesson. And without technology, I would have asked the question, tell me what you know about the Pythagorean theorem. How many students do you think would have raised their hand in my classroom, Matt? Uh, a couple. Yeah, I call them, well, and I stole this one. <laughs> okay, so ready? Yeah. They're my Pop-Tarts. They're the two kids <laughs> who raise their hands super fast and they happen in every single classroom. Yeah, I like that. Well, in Nearpod, we have one of our features, formative assessment features is called our Collaborate Board. It's social media. Like what I want you to imagine is um, I can, that teacher, I could ask the question, what do you already know about the Pythagorean theorem? I see it on my screen, but what's cool about Nearpod is it syncs on every student's device. So they have it right in front of them. They're like, have like a front row seat to learning. Mm -hmm. They have that same thing there and each can type in something and it posts like a post-it note. The classroom is full of crock pots that need to simmer, not just pop tarts. So I want every single child to be able to post. And when I use that formative assessment feature, like a collaborate board, what you're going to see is Instead of the two Pop-Tarts, you're going to see those crack pots. They simmer, and it makes you have wait time as a teacher, right? That's the dreaded wait time, yeah. is I start seeing pop, 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 because you want to know why else is it's anonymous. So what's on a student device? The kids don't see the names. I see it as a teacher on my dashboard, but the kids do not. So I, you can start to crowdsource, you know, what do you already know? And if you don't know, we have Google Safe Search built in. I could, as a student, type in Pythagorean theorem, and it's going to give me examples. It's going to open up abilities for me to participate. Um, and the other really important things is this isn't a heads down and device resource. It's about helping a teacher facilitate instruction so that I can then facilitate a discussion around what students already know. I might have kids get up and, and really um, point out a right triangle, for instance, to make a connection. Um, we're not just going to sit there in front of the computer. So that's one example of a formative assessment. I could give more, but I think that's a really good one that you can paint a picture. That is. That's a that's a perfect example. Um, let's go across the hall to a, to okay. another classroom. This sure. classroom, though, is social studies, and they are utilizing the VR feature in Nearpod. Can you tell us a little bit about how that might be used? Sure. Um, so... You know, with formative assessment, I'm just going to backtrack to that for a moment. Okay, I'm all about great. making connections. Yes. So that, you know, is about knowing where students are, but more from an understanding standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. What I want you to picture is not just that hallway across the hall in the physical classroom. We're all facing the potential of distance learning, right? And it's, it's a scary thing, right? How do you change that instruction? I like to say with Nearpod, you can literally know where students are. Because when students join a Nearpod lesson, it's so engaging that they want to join, right? So I can like literally know where they are. They're going to want to join me. And VR is a really critical component of that because I can bring the world in the classroom or bring the world into that student's home. So let's take that collaborate board and I'm going to build a lesson for you because in Nearpod, you can string these things together. So let's say I ask, you know, so Matt, tell me what you already know about Egypt. And we get the collaborate board, Pop-Tarts, Crap Pots, they all get to respond, right? Mm -hmm. The very next slide, I can actually take us to the pyramids in VR. I don't need goggles. They're 360 degree VR panels. 
So if I was on an iPad, I'm actually going to feel immersed in it. If I'm on my Chromebook, I can use my mouse, but I can start to explore that new, um, I can actually go into that world right in my classroom. Hmm. And you want to know what else is cooler is we have over 350,000 VR panels that you can bring into any lesson. I mean, I have literally used VR to teach observation and inferences. Think about how that could blow your mind. Oh, yeah. Because, it, you know, technology should support learning outcomes, not be the learning outcome. It's not that today I want to teach VR. It's how can VR help me get to a learning outcome? Yeah, and I I love how it's connected to the formative assessment, how it's connected within Nearpod, how it's builds on itself. And and I like the word that you use that allows for student exploration, right? It gives the students freedom and then it's there, but you allow them to sort of look around with, with maybe some guidance and, and maybe not, maybe just, a, you know, some time. Uh, you have five minutes to look around or, or something like that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I'm sure it's super helpful in the student's learning process. Nearpod, there's a lot that's been added recently. What are some new features that have been added? Sure. So, you know, just the level set, we have 13 formative assessments, 12 rich media integrations like VR, FET, Desmos. It's important to note those lessons I talked about. We have over 7,500 pre-made lessons with trusted partners like iCivics, ReadWorks, FET, and so forth. Um, we are always looking at how to improve that. So here's one that we have recently launched, and that's a formal integration with Zoom. So a teacher can launch a Nearpod lesson and a Zoom meeting with one link. So you don't have to start a web conferencing tool and then start a Nearpod. That can be a little confusing sometimes for kids. You can do it with one click. The other thing we have done, um, really, we've been pretty passionate since March, really helping teachers face the new normal, is that um, we talked about Nearpod as a live-paced lesson. So a teacher is going to launch it, the students pace along on their devices. Students can also do all of our lessons independently in what we call self-paced mode. But imagine on that teacher dashboard, I'm seeing real-time feedback. That real-time feedback does not end just because the teacher isn't facilitating it live. In our self-paced lessons, teachers can watch a dashboard in real time throughout the day of what students are completing. We thought that was pretty critical as as students um, shift to that home environment. Can I uh, ask you a couple questions about that Nearpod integration with Zoom? So sure. people listening to it, um, where would the student click? Do they click in Nearpod? Do they go to Zoom and click there? Then they click another link. Can you walk us through that just a bit for someone that's maybe never experienced that integration before? I absolutely can. And what you described was the problem we were solving for. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because technology should make the complex simpler. Mm-hmm. So what happens is the teacher, when they're in Nearpod, they have a choice to launch Nearpod with Zoom. And so they're going to get a link or a code that they can share with their students when they enter. Because with Nearpod, the way you join a lesson is you enter in a pin, a code, or you can click on a link. When you share that, it's going to integrate with Zoom. You don't have to go to Zoom too. Boom. Hmm. One thing, one experience, it's going to launch integrated within Zoom. So the student will be able to see the lesson, work on the lesson, and also have the video component all on their screen um, in, in one place. Yes. So it's like one experience. Like the magic of what technology should do, right, is 
that one click can unlock the magic of a variety of things at once. Yeah. And then the, so they're doing the work and then the teacher is able to see it from their end, correct? That's correct. And also they can see all those lovely faces on the other end. So for example, let's go back to that collaborate board example. Uh Yeah. The teacher, I'm seeing all the names. If I didn't see your name, Matt, what am I going to do? I may use the chat function in Zoom and privately message you. Hey, Matt, what are you doing? Hmm. Or, or there are other times where I've integrated, um, you know, we have another product called Vocabulary. And if you have both Nearpod and Vocabulary, you can integrate Vocabulary videos into Nearpod. Um, you know, I actually will watch kids, you know, bopping around dancing. Like, you know, you want to have that shared experience. Like learning should be super engaging um, and meaningful. And, and, and those, the relationships, it's coming back full circle. That relationship between the teacher and student, just because you're physically disconnected doesn't mean you can't be connected. That's true. And it seems like that simple integration, well, it's not really that simple. <laughs> um, you guys did a lot of complex work to make it simple. Yeah. But, but that integration um, does that, and, and that's wonderful. Um, you did mention Flowcabulary, and I wanted to talk to you about that just uh, briefly. So that's part of Nearpod now. Uh, when did that happen, and why is Flowcabulary a nice fit with Nearpod? Yeah, so um, Flowcabulary came a part of the Nearpod family um, in April of 2019. Um, and, you know, it's an equally powerful student engagement solution. And for those who aren't familiar, um, vocabulary contains hip hop videos as well as instructional activities that promote literacy and really is aimed to close that literacy opportunity gap by moving students through all levels of Bloom's taxonomy for those essential tier two and tier three words. But in terms of Bloom's, we all know that last level is really creation. Um, mm-hmm. We really want to move beyond just you know remembering, let's say, through a video. We have a a really unique feature called Lyric Lab where students can do their own rap writing in order to show, you know, that creation and using those core critical vocabulary that they learned in that um, critical need that has really been in kind of the national dialogue. And that's around racial and social justice Um, and vocabulary itself in terms of, you know, beyond hip hop. Hip hop isn't necessarily um, the foundational piece just for, you know, racial justice, it's really, you know, inclusivity within the content. It is how we use Bloom's taxonomy to get to a level of rigor through content that's really relevant with students. So I encourage folks to, you know, check it out at flowcabulary.com because I see this as as a must-have that supporting distance learning as well as kind of the racial social justice needs that we need to bring into the classroom. Jenny, so is there anything in the works that is going to be happening at Nearpod in the near future? Anything that you're able to talk about at this time? Well, you know, at Nearpod, we're constantly looking for ways to reduce that, you know, disjointed nature of having to go to five, six, seven different tools to accomplish the learning experiences you're working so hard to create in your classroom. And I've said it before, I said it a few times technology should simplify. Um, you know, what, not simplify things, not make it more complex. Mm-hmm. So beyond what I, I really described about Nearpod is how you can take slides. Teachers will often upload PowerPoints or Google slides and add that collaborate board and VR to just make it super engaging. 
we are going beyond slides where now you can make any video interactive. So you can take a formative assessment, embed it right into the video itself. Also, with this expansion into video, um, as I was describing the learning experience, you might have been thinking, man, but that requires one-to-one technology. Mm-hmm. Neuropod will also have the ability for you to teach front of class when you're physically in the classroom, let's say on an interactive whiteboard. You just want to open up the possibility for more teachers. Oh, wow. Yeah, those sound like super exciting new features, uh, really changing the game. They're simplifying things, and then they're also allowing teachers to engage with students in in new ways. Uh, Why is that video component going to be so important? You know, what we know is from a digital instruction standpoint, from a piece of content, video by far is the most popular and most widely used format in classrooms. And what we're passionate about doing is you, you, you hear me talk about uh, collaboration, not heads down in devices. Mm-hmm. We want to take the use of technology and turn it from a passive to an active experience. And think about videos often. Is that quite passive? It can be. You know, the lights go down. Let's remember, close your eyes, picture that classroom, <laughs> right? It was, it was a little snoozy time, right? <laughs> so um, by actually embedding those formative assessment points, I'm going to take that from a passive to an active experience, unlocking student insights in real time to really create deep understanding, rich discussion in the classroom. Well, that's exciting. And I'm excited to check out those new features. All right. Thanks, Matt. It's time for the final word. Jenny, what would you like to say to close out this podcast? Well, even though I work for an ed tech company now, I remain a teacher first. Teaching teaching has been the hardest, most humbling job of my career. And I'm just so absolutely thankful and grateful for teachers. And I am even more thankful and grateful as a parent and, you know, now more than ever as we navigate these, these current challenging times. So I'm humbled, I'm grateful, and I just say thank you to teachers. Oh. Jenny, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your time and sharing all of your insight. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.